together. Lord, we are now about to open your word. And so I ask that, that what we are not, you would make us. What we know not, you would teach us. And, and what we have not, you would give us. That, that we might become what you died for us to be. That we might receive the gift that we desperately need from your hand. Provide faith, Lord God. Allow us to believe. And in so believing, so live, that, that we might enjoy the great blessing that comes from being salty. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. If you would, go ahead and be seated. We are almost done with this series. Um, hey, heads up, in case you didn't know, it's the middle of July. How did that happen? It's crazy. It feels like it should be like June 3rd or something, but it's not. And this series is almost done. And man, this thing has been a huge encouragement to my own soul. And I've been thrilled, absolutely thrilled, with what I have been hearing from many of you. Thank you for the cards. Thank you for the direct messages on social media. Thank you for the email. Nothing gives me greater encouragement and, and joy than to hear how the Word of God is, is impacting your life. It, it's so encourages and inspires me uh, to want to, to be able to feed you the Word of God. Uh, our great hope, and one of the reasons why we saturate our services with Scripture, is that we have a promise concerning this Word of life. Uh, we read this promise in Isaiah 55, 11. Look what the Word of God says. It says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. There is a great confidence that we have that the Word of God is going to do exactly what the Word of God was given to do by God's power for the glory of God. And so we, we love the Word of God because it's at work. It is working. It is, it is fulfilling God's will by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we lean into that Word, and in so doing, we are protected. There is in this Word, there is within the faith itself, a great strength that, that comes to us in as much as we are protecting it and holding to it. We have some core values that, that we hold to as a church that protect us. Uh, the first one has to do with the Word of God. We value the authority of God's Word. And by that, we mean we are gladly submitting to Scripture in all things. We, we, we don't dislike having to do what God's Word says. We are thrilled to be able to have it, to stand on it, to allow it to define reality and truth for us, and, and then to, to walk in that way. We understand what Scripture does. We believe 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is given by God. It's God's Word. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely complete, equipped for every good work. We value the authority of Scripture. We, we also we value the second one, is caring relationships. And by that we mean deeply loving others as Christ has loved us. Listen, if you're not feeling the care and the compassion of this church, you're not connected properly. See, this church is filled with loving people. And if you're not feeling that love, it is not because it's not available. It's because you're not plugged into it. And by the way, plugging in takes time. Plugging in takes uh, us giving emotional resources. That is, engaging with our hearts. Because 
What ties us together is not just that we believe the same information, but we share our lives together. First uh, Thessalonians 2 8 says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, not just the truth of the word, but look, but also our very selves because you've become very dear to us. This is what a church looks like. A loving community of people saved by grace and the power of the gospel that love one another and share life to one another. So we value biblical authority because that that shows us how to live. And we value caring relationships because that is the life of Christ being lived in us and through us. The third thing we value is this, missional living. And by that we mean meeting practical needs and making disciples. Every service that ends here at this church, we say something very simple. Live hopeful and be helpful. Living hopeful comes by knowing the gospel, knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, having been filled and sealed by the Spirit of God to the, to the glory of the Father. You go out with this hope and you choose to help people. You help them in practical, meaningful ways, understanding that that we will find our welfare in the welfare of the city in which we live. We know we're exiles here. We have been sent by God for such a time as this. Where you live is not coincidence, it's providence. God has called you to live in this city for a reason, and that is to, to be a missionary. And so we love what the prophet Jeremiah said, but seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. We believe and we value missional living because that's what it is. The fourth thing we value, life transformation. But make sure you understand what kind of life transformation. We, we do not like or, or value the kind of transformation that comes from peer pressure, from us trying to somehow squeeze you into a mold you don't want to be in. We don't value that at all. That's legalism. That's religion. It doesn't work. What we value is genuine life transformation. And what is that? It's passionately seeking gospel-dependent change. It's gospel-dependent. We can't change your heart, but God can. And what we value is the power of God to change a heart. God changed my heart. Did God change anybody's heart in this room? Testimonies all over the room. God does that work. And what we value is the transformation that happens because of the work of God. He is at work in the world. And, and so we're, we're here to, 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 to experience that. And we are being transformed. Second Corinthians 3, 18. And we all are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We are all being conformed into the image of Christ. And that transformation happens by the power of the gospel. Our fifth and final value is audacious faith. I love that word, audacious it, it, it's not a weekly faith. It's not. It's not. A, it's an audacious faith. And, and what we mean by that is daring to join God in what He is doing. God is at work in your life. He's at work through your life. He's at work all around you. And God fears nothing. He doesn't fear death. He doesn't fear sickness. He doesn't fear a mountainous opportunity. He fears nothing. And He wants us to join Him in what He's doing and fear not because He is our friend. 
because He is our God. He is our Savior. He is our King. And when we join Him in what He is doing, we get to be a part of God's kingdom work in the world. And, and, and to do that, Joshua 1.9 says, you've got to be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When we live within the, the parameters of these values, we protect our faith. And, and in so doing, we protect one another. And, and God calls us to do that. How we do that is explained in Scripture. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me right now to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 9. As you go there, I want you to be very mindful of the reality of what is happening amongst some Christians and some churches today as they are abandoning the gospel. They're abandoning the values that we hold to. And the results are, are going to be death. Those institutions will die. Their, their hearts and minds will fade from Christ. And so it's crucial that we, we heed this word from God. This is God's word uh, and what Jesus says to us here. Uh, it's, it's, it's a way that we can protect and, and to do that together because we're better together. And, and it's a service that God has called us to render. And so, if you would, let's stand together. Kaylee Napier is going to read our scripture. Where's so there she is. Beautiful girl. Man, if, if only she was cute, right? Goodness. All right, Kaylee, are you ready? We're in verse 50 of, of Mark chapter 9. Kaylee, read that for us. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? The Word of God. Thanks be to God. She's out of here, right? Go ahead and have a seat if you would. That scripture is not a suggestion. Be salty. I know amongst our young adults, that's become, that's, that's, that's become a negative term. Jesus meant it positive. Be salty. Now, how you do that and how I do that is going to be very different. Each one of us are going to do this differently. We're going to do the same thing, but we're going to do it differently. Because, see, we all have different personalities. We also have different gifts and abilities. And, and it's also important to understand we all have different challenges and problems and opportunities. And so the way this is going to be borne out into our lives, it, it, will, it will look different, but it will be the, the same the same thing. This week I was talking to a, a football coach and we were talking about offensive linemen. I love offensive linemen. They have protected me when I was a young man from great great deal of pain through through their strength. But here's something interesting. Having, having been around linemen a, a, a large deal of my life, I, I have come to not only love them but understand them in their craziness. And they are all crazy, by the way. But they're all crazy in a different, special way. Give me two minutes with a lineman, and I can typically tell you what position they play. Because there's a personality and a gift set and, and a way of going about being a lineman that is unique to every position. For instance, every center that I've ever met is a control freak, and they're loud, and they're hilarious. They can't help themselves. They're just loud. Their job is to create a party, a party atmosphere, and, and they, they feel the need to be in control. They always have something to say. They always have something to say. 
and they are great at a party, they're not great roommates because they won't stop talking. They always have an opinion. They are always doing something, and there's always noise around the center. Then there are guards. Guards are great, but they cheat. Guards cut people. They take out knees. They they cheat. They now I'm gonna tell you this: if you're ever gonna get in a fight, bring a guard with you. They love to fight. The problem is they also start fights. So if you're out with a guard, just know there is a probability somebody's gonna get in a fight. The two bench clearing brawls I was a part of in high school, both of them were started by guards. They can't help themselves. They're great in a fight. They're terrible as roommates because you fight with them. And they're typically big and they will hurt you. I love tackles. Tackles are huge teddy bears, typically. They are kind-hearted. They're understanding. They typically break up the fights that the guards start. And both uh, brawls I was a part of in high school, I was getting beat up and a tackle in both instances came and saved me. It was great. And, and they're, they're great not only as, as someone to be out with, they're great roommates because they're typically pretty tidy and they typically clean things up and they, they make messes go away and, and they're just good listeners. Every one of them are different, all right? All of the, and they're all necessary to be effective. They're different. They're doing the same job. And I love linemen because here's what I know. A game is won or lost at the line. I know we all watch the quarterback, the tailbacks, and the receivers. The game is won and lost at the line. And here's the deal. If you can't protect, you can't win. If you can't protect, you can't win. And so it is in Christian faith. If you can't protect, you can't win. If you cannot protect the faith that has been passed down to us, you can't win in fulfilling God's purpose for your life. If you can't protect the truth of the gospel, then your soul will pay your soul will pay the cost of that. And it will not only be you, but it'll be those closest to you. If you can't protect, you can't win. God has called us as his people to protect. Now, we protect better together. We are called to serve as servants, we are to protect, but we do that better together. Now, our text shows us what what we need to be protecting. I want you to take note of these two things. The first one is this. Understand, we serve better together when we protect the integrity of our souls in the power of the gospel. We have to protect the integrity of our souls. Look what the text says, verse 50. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves. Now, the, the focus of this metaphor for salt and saltiness is, is the preserving power of the gospel. God's people, as God's people, we were, were made righteous. That is, we are consecrated, set apart by the holiness of God. And, and this is a standing that we gain that changes the way we live in the real world. Now, if we do not have the preserving power of the gospel of God at work in our lives, we will spoil. Our our souls will become rotten. Apart from God's grace, we have no hope. 
Now, we understand that when we come to know God through faith in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we, can, we can pursue and we can recover God's design. It's that pursuit and that recovery that keeps us salty. It keeps us from spoiling. We know that God's design is that we be whole, that we be complete. We use the word harmony to describe God's design. And we know that sin destroys that. Sin creates brokenness. God made us to be whole. God made us to have harmony with Him, within, with others. Sin creates brokenness. And that brokenness is what destroys and rots our souls. But thanks be to God, He has come to redeem us. And the good news of the gospel is this, is that Christ has taken responsibility for the sin of all who will believe. He died to pay for that sin. He has been raised to conquer death. And so if we will repent, that is, turn away from doing that which creates brokenness and believe in the power of God to transform us and to make us new, we're free to pursue and recover God's design, which is what saltiness is. It gives us the power to preserve. Without that power, we will be spoiled. A spoiled child is not a blessing. A rotten child is not a blessing. God loves us too much to allow us to live outside the boundaries of His perfect will. And according to His Word, He calls us to a way of life. He empowers us in that way of life by His Spirit. He shows us that way of life through Christ. And as we believe in Him, we are free to pursue and recover God's design. Which will, which will make us whole, which will set us apart. And, and the child that is sanctified, that is set apart, is always a blessing. A spoiled child is never a blessing. A sanctified, a child that has been made holy by the gospel of God, who's been made whole and complete, that child is always a blessing. We who repent and believe have the freedom to do that. And we need to always be evaluating ourselves and asking a very simple question. Am I salty? Am I salty? Now, to understand what that means, you got to get the sense of the whole. So I want you to look at the chapter of Mark with me. Let's understand what it means to be salty. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, to understand, you got to begin at the beginning of the chapter. Jesus said in verse 1 of Mark 9 that, that there would be some disciples there who would, who would live to see the coming of the glory of God, the coming of His kingdom. And so in the next verse, we see Jesus taking His best friends, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain. And there He is transfigured. And they see the coming of the power of the greatness of God as Jesus is transformed and He is met with Moses and Elijah. And they hear the voice of God and they see the very thing that God had promised. And so they see the power of God and they're overwhelmed. Meanwhile, while the varsity team is up on the mountain with God, the JV disciples are at the bottom of the hill dealing with a demon that they can't dispossess. There's a boy there who's trapped and can't get away from it, and, and those JV disciples couldn't do it. And so Jesus and, and, the, and the varsity team, Peter, James, and John, they come down the hill, and, and everyone's complaining to Jesus the fact that his disciples can't heal this boy. And then Jesus does it, and the disciples are like, why couldn't we do it? And, and you look in verse, verse 29, and he said to them, this kind, of, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Jesus said, you 
you don't have the power to undo what death has done. Only God can save. And that through the prayers of His people. We don't have the power to change a life. Only God can do that. But He will do that as we pray, as we join Him. So, so Jesus, is, He's shown Him His power. He's, he's showing the, the goodness and the greatness of God. And then he, in, that, in the sense of all that, He says, and by the way, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I'm going to be taken. You, you look in verse 32, uh, 32. Jesus tells him, I'm going to have to die for all this, for this power to be released. And, but on the third day, I will be raised. And no sooner has Jesus explained what he's about to do sacrificially, they start arguing about who's powerful. Well, who's going to be in charge? Who's the greatest? Who's the best? And then they start complaining to Jesus. Jesus, there are guys over there that are not in our cool circle, or the cool guy crew, you know, that eat a lunch table with you. They're over there in your name, and they're, they're, they're doing demon, you know, casting out. And that's not cool. And Jesus is like, boy, it's not about you. If they're not against you, they're for you. Quit thinking this is about you. So many Christians, we think that the Christian life is about us. It's not about us. It's about the glory of God. Jesus is trying to tell guys, God's bigger. He's better than anything you can come up with on your own. You don't need to find your own way. There is a way. It's through Jesus Christ, and He will give you life. You don't need to worry about what everybody else is doing. Worry about what you're doing and stay focused. And then He gets in verse 42 through 50, and He has this conversation with them about them and what they need to be doing. And there are no more terrifying words that came from the mouth of Jesus than are in this text right here. That he calls to the disciples to a level of discipleship that refuses to make excuses. He says, get it and get real. And then he talks about the reality of hell. He uses the word Gehenna. And what he's talking about here is what happens to, to those souls that are spoiled, to rotten souls. Rotten souls are thrown into garbage. And so outside of Jerusalem, there's this place called Gehenna. There was this place where you took refuge, where you took garbage and where it burned. And he would say, this is what happens to things that are rotten. If you don't have a soul that has been sanctified and set apart and made whole and made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ, then your soul is rotten and spoiled. And it will be thrown out. And so Jesus says in verse 49, listen, you've got to have a salty soul. But he says something very powerful, very important here. He says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Now, understand that everyone there is everyone who believes, every disciple of Jesus. And what will make us salty, what will make us uh, preserved, what will make us not spoil and, and not rot are the trials of life. See, God knows that what makes us salty is a strong faith, a faith in the gospel of God. And so, God allows each one of us to go through trials and challenges for the purpose of having our faith strengthened so that we will become salty. And so there's this unbelievably, if you don't believe in the gospel, crazy verse in Scripture in James chapter 1 beginning in verse 2. And look what it says. Count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What? If you don't believe in Jesus, that is the craziest thing ever. 
If you do believe in Jesus, it's interesting. I never see this verse on coffee cups. I've never walked in someone's office or seen on a desk or seen on a plaque anyone anywhere. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Because we have come to believe that pain is bad, that trials are bad. Friends, they're not. Friends, your trials are gifts. My trials are gifts. They don't feel like gifts, but they are. Because you know what they do? They grow our faith. And you know what happens when your faith grows? You get salty, and you don't spoil, and you don't rot. And so the Scripture tells us, Hey, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You don't rot. You don't spoil. You preserve. You're preserved. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This is what it means to be salty. It is to have a faith that is real, that is becoming more and more pure, that is not rotting, but it's being preserved, and it's preserving, and it's bringing about change. So what does a salty soul look like? Let me give you two ingredients, okay? A salty soul has, first of all, a righteous standing with God the Father. We've been using this text of Scripture a lot there in this series. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You will rot. You will spoil. You will be thrown in the garbage heap. You will be, bro- you will be thrown where there is darkness and gnashing of teeth and death and sickness and fire. That's what the flesh produces. It rots us. It rots our soul. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. You, you put away that dirtiness. You put away those rotting influences. You will live then. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the Spirit of God of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father. We are given access to call Dad, God, our Dad. We do that because of the work of the Son who died for our sins, who has been raised, and by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children than heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer. What? We suffer? We have to go through trials? Yes! Why? Because they strengthen our faith. Provided we suffer in order that we may also be glorified with Him, so that we can be salt so that we can become more and more like Jesus, more and more whole, more and more holy, not rotting, not getting dirty, being purified and persevering and being preserved. And that standing then creates a righteous lifestyle in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when you're salty, this is what your life is described like. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. But by the fruit of the Spirit, you're described with love, which, which produces joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It is only by the work of the Spirit of God that we are salty. This is what, that's what a salty life looks like. Now, the only way that can happen is as you are abiding in Christ. If you want to produce the fruit of the Spirit, you have to abide in 
Jesus by faith. And that faith will be tried. And as you learn to abide in Him more through those challenges, you will produce more and more fruit. This is what Jesus said in John 15. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. This is Jesus speaking. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If you want to be salty, you've got to abide in Christ. You have to receive Christ. You have to have Christ alive in you. You've got to pursue and recover God's design. You're going to do that through trials. And as these challenges and these pains come, as you live by faith, you will be preserved. You will be salty. And it will change the way you live. Our position in Christ impacts, defines, and inspires how we live. And having a soul that is whole will create relationships that are whole. Understand this. When you have peace with God and peace within, you'll have peace with other people. When the purifying effects of Christ are alive in you, and you are not rotting, and you are not decaying and dying, but rather living and, and being preserved in Christ, your relationships will reflect that. So that's why it says uh, that, that we are to be at peace with one another. Write this down. We serve better together when we protect not only the integrity of our own souls, but the integrity of our relationships through the power of the gospel. He comes right out of talking about being salty rather than spoiled and says, be at peace with one another. Because when you're not spoiled, bless you. That was the, like a, I'm not going to diagnose it. You, it's so hard not to. Um, when, when you're not spoiled, you, you make peace. Listen, spoiled children don't apologize. Spoiled children don't go and settle accounts and make sure that everyone loves each other and is walking rightly together. What do spoiled children do? They name call. Spoiled children refuse to, to do the right thing unless it suits them. They only, they only are in it for them. Guys, let me remind you something. It's not about us. It's about our Father. And the sooner we understand that, the more salty we will become. And rather than being spoiled children, we will be sanctified children. And that sanctified life, it will change the way we function with other people. And you know what we'll do? We'll make peace. Now, there are four steps to biblical peacemaking. The first one is this, is glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, bring glory to God. If you're going to make peace with people, the first thing you have to say is, you know what, this isn't about me feeling good about me. This isn't about me getting what I want and trying to manipulate. This is about God being glorified in my faith and what I'm choosing to do out of obedience to Him. You start there. And that, that's so liberating because you can go to folks and in your heart you can say, I don't like them. I don't, I don't, I don't trust in what, because of what they've done. But because God has commanded me, I will go make peace for His glory. Once you decide to do it for God's glory, the second step is you've got to get the log out of your own eye. Remember Jesus said, why are you so focused on the speck in theirs when you got the big log hanging out of yours? It's kind of making a joke, but kind of wasn't. See, we have a saying around here as it pertains to peace. 
when you're in conflict, there are always two sides to that conflict. And you may only be 1% responsible for that conflict, but you are 100% responsible for your 1%. And the first thing you have to acknowledge is, you know what? I've, I have done something to cause this conflict. For God's glory, I will admit, the 1% I did was 100% wrong. And you get the log out of your eye. And then look, gently engage others. You don't go yelling. You don't go name-calling. You don't go and tell everybody else about it so that you have a posse that's going to stand in your corner and judge them. You don't do that. You don't go on social media and complain about other people and talk about other people. You gently go and you say, look, for the glory of God, I want to admit anywhere I've been wrong, and I want to repent of that because I, I want us to be made right. And I have to gently, I'm gently wanting to say, this has hurt me. And we got to make this right. If I have hurt you, tell me what it is. And I promise you, I will repent. I won't do it ever again. I want to ask you to forgive me. And if you will repent, I will forgive you. And then look what happens. You can go and be reconciled. You can go from that conversation knowing that you're reconciled with the other person. And that you have peace. Let me tell you something about this. Peacemaking business. You cannot control what other people choose to do. You're not responsible for them. And as much as it depends upon you, Paul said in Romans 15, you make peace. So if you want to talk with someone and they say, I can't talk with you, you say, listen, if you ever can, I'd like to talk because I would like, for the glory of God, to admit where I've been wrong and gently have a conversation so that we can be reconciled. But if you don't want to do that, I can't force you. I'm not going to force you. But no, on my end, I want peace. I want to have peace with you the way I have peace with God. Only salty people can do that. Spoiled people don't do that. Salty people living in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ because He has made peace with us. We can go and make peace with them. Because He has taken and made sacrifice for us to have peace with God, we can now make sacrifice. We can humble ourselves and we can go and make peace with them. Let me ask you something. Are you salty? Are you in conflict? Here's what I can guarantee you. Right now, you are either in the middle of temptation, coming out of temptation, or about to go into temptation to sin. You're either in the middle of conflict, coming out of conflict, or going in the middle of conflict. What are you going to do? You're going to spoil? You're going to be spoiled? Or are you going to be salty? Or are you going to say, you know what? By faith, I trust you, Christ, and I'm going to obey you. I'm going to live in the Spirit. I'm going to abide in Christ, and I'm going to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. And I'm going to forgive, and I'm going to make peace. Are you, are you at peace with everyone? See, salty people make peace. Here's what I want to challenge you to do today. I want to challenge you to commit yourself to be salty. To commit yourself to make peace. And then to pray for your life, for the integrity of your soul, and the integrity of your relationships, that they would be made whole. You cannot do it without Jesus Christ. 
And so some of you today, you need to ask Jesus to forgive you so that you can be right with him, so you can be right with them. And then you need to make sure you're right with everyone else. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're thinking, I'm good, but I'm telling you, I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried about my parents. I'm worried about my friend. They're in conflict. They're in sin. Pray for them today. Pray that they will be salty and not spoiled, that they might receive the blessing of God. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we need you so much. We, we have no idea of the depth of our need. We cannot be salty without you. It requires the grace of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, and, and the, and the over, overarching direction and leadership of you, Father. And Lord God, I know that there are some children here who are here today who would say, you know what, I, I've lost my saltiness. God, forgive me, make me salty again. I know there are some here here today who are saying, you know what, I'm in conflict and I need peace. God, would you today hear their prayers as they ask for peace? And then we all know of those who are in desperate need for salvation in Christ, for marriages and relationships to be restored. God, I pray that you'll hear from your people as we, as we praise you in song, but then pray to you for your work to be done, that we might be salty persevere, and be God what you died for us to be. So hear us now as we praise you, and hear the prayers of your people as they come. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing together, feel free to come and pray and ask for God's blessing.